Good evening, friend. Welcome back to The Front Porch. My name is Dennis Rogers, and once again, I'm joined by Michael Daniels. How's it going, Mike? Uh, it's great. Today's a Monday night before the big Thanksgiving Day holiday. Yep, Thanksgiving weekend. Here, here in America. We got uh, How was... I know the answer to this, but for the benefit of the listener, how was your weekend? Mixed. <laughs> Let's say Saturday was great, and Sunday was paying for Saturday, so... Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. We had uh, a yeah, tailgate. What we call it? What tailgate giving? Is that how you how we say it? Tailgate giving. Yeah, I like to I like to call it tailgiving. Tailgiving. I like tailgiving better. Uh, it flows. A it little does. Better, tailgate but, giving yeah. feels weird, but it's the uh, as listeners know. We you guys know we uh, uh, go to the tailgate at the IU games um, all the time. And Dennis made a made a journey here uh, with Sarah. Yeah, I was. We're we're doing Thanksgiving again at my. Um, sister's place in tennessee mm-hmm. and so bloomington is about halfway on that trip so sarah rode down with me that's my my older sister mm-hmm. that i talk about all the time i'm going to start calling her by name now that you've met her right see i think everybody knows sarah efficient. at this point right they're they're yeah, right, slowly right. knowing the names it's how it works but <laughs> yeah yeah um anyway she wrote down with me we did the tailgate saturday mm-hmm. and hung out we had lunch with the trotskys sunday and then drove the rest of the way um, why don't we just quickly, unless you have any other comments on the food that, you know, we had deep fried turkey. Did, we did, but, we did the uh, whole deep fried thing. That's what they do every year. And it's pretty good. I'm not a tricky person. And I, I gotta say, I might've had like a small sliver. I don't even know if I tried mm-hmm. all the other, I'm, I, the thing about Thanksgiving is that all the foods great. That's kind of like my perfect mm-hmm. kind of food in the season right. it really is everything on the table with the exception of maybe cranberry is things, things I, that I yeah like. i guess that we talk about this every year right. because my signature dish is is fresh cranberry, cranberry sauce yeah but you said and, though that like we had this conversation I and mean, i know we probably had on the thing is that like having fresh cran- my experience is having cranberry in a can those things that everyone right. everyone ever has those and it just feels like terrible jello gross right mm-hmm. yeah um but cra- i've had cranberry other things where it's not been overwhelmingly powerful crazy and it's been pretty good so and i'm not knocking on cranberry yeah, i mean I, general, th- just- I think it i think it adds a lot of character to the to the turkey which is relatively bland uh protein it is a but pretty bland po- protein that's that's the thing i wanted to i wanted to briefly talk about the games that we played because the weather was crappy and cold-ish and kind of rainy and so we spent most of the afternoon in the rv oh you mean like gold. the games at the tailgate thing yeah sure okay i w- were there any notable games that we played <laughs> i mean i don't know we played party games we did we so played party games. those are those are interesting to some people sure. particularly uh um people who like games and are about to spend a lot of time with their family yeah which is me <laughs> true um, true <laughs> And we actually, when we went to lunch, uh, Mike Trotsky and I talked a lot about different games because he recognizes the difference between a game that he'll play with you guys in the group on Tuesday mm-hmm. and a game that he can bring to a family gathering. Of course, right. Like, you're not going to try and get, you're not going to try and teach your mother-in-law to play Gloomhaven. Right. Unless you're, you have a particularly cool mother Well, for, for years and know. years, Mike and I would... I'm generalizing. But. Mike Trotsky is kind of like my family and... My family hates his family time. So we, I will often have spent um, the holiday, the holidays, over with his family, and since high school, 
Um, and that just means that what happens is that Mike and I, it's kind of been a thing since high school that we play games. All the family goes and like the adults, the adults, quote unquote, did, did their, does their own thing in the kitchen and they all talk and then they'll play bingo. And then Mike and I being the odd ducks have always gone and played games, like whether it be bringing over a Nintendo or playing uh, board games or magic, the gathering, we would always do that. And so we could always feed that need, but then like, I'm not always there. And he still mm. wants to play games, right? right. So he'd get his bro- his cousin Jonathan to do it, kind of. But it's hard to get people in there. And I think Mike just knows that as many people as he's had family come over all the time, he just, there's different games that you got to play, just like you're talking about with your family, that you want to play games. But, you know, you realize that they're just not going to be there for more than, you know, if it's got like little parts, there's no way, right? Right. And, and we have this same version of this conversation now that we've been doing this podcast for a couple of years, like we talk about it around this time of year. Um, I've discovered, and you know, the Trotsky's agreed. They're like, this is a necessity. Um, bringing one or two puzzles. That's um, actually really good for their family. For, Does that, do puzzles work for your family? They, they work, they work for my family. It, it keeps people, you know, it's something for people to do. That's kind of calm and quiet and mentally, focused um they said that for their family the puzzle can't be too hard or people get overwhelmed and check out yep uh i bought a puzzle from game preserve that is the japanese uh great wave art do you know what i'm talking about i do not if you see a picture of it you'll know what i'm talking about but it's it's a big wave and most of it is just blue it's just solid blue okay and a couple of I think my dad and one of my sisters-in-law and one of my sisters, a couple of them like took it as a challenge and just, you know, powered through and got it (laughs) and got it done. And I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't know if there's such a thing as a, as a too hard puzzle for my family. They they just like, like Uh, doing that. They gave me a hard time about it, but they, they still did it. But anyway, at the tailgate, we played um, a game called one word. Is it the one where you write the word? I didn't on know the, the name of it, but yeah, it's basically what it is. I didn't play that. How did you like that? Uh, it's okay. I mean, <laughs> I, it's hard for me to review these games. They're fine, but they take so little brain power. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I, I, I guess I'm really bound on them. I see the value of them, but I have a hard time really enjoying them much more because what, what I did with that game and like I do with most of these games is I'm, I drop in and out, right? I come in. I play like three rounds and then I, and then I get completely bored of it and then go away. So it was fine for five minutes, maybe 10, you know, and then I'm on to something else. You know what I mean? Right on, right on. Um, okay. So you don't have any, and that's all, well, we played that one and we played the one I just bought. Um, Here, well, I can, I can describe it. It's it trophies. It, it's kind of, it kind of was, uh, how it works is, um, someone has a card who's the main person. It's a cooperative thing. So it's another one of those. Everyone wins or everyone, you get scored by how many points you get, you know, right. Um, so someone has a card that, and it has five words on the back. They don't look at it. They show it to everybody and they pick a number between one and five and it'll say like, um, Harry Potter. Right. And then everybody has to write down, uh, a one single word, to get that person to guess what that phrase is. They have to guess Harry Potter. You can't say Harry and you can't say Potter. 
Um, and then everyone shows each other besides the caller. And if there's any duplicates, like if someone wrote Dumbledore and then somebody else wrote Dumbledore, those two people are out and they can't show their, their hint. Yeah. Like a categories. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it's very much like a categories thing. That's kind of how these are. It, it also feels like, uh, I can't think of the, where you pantomime things or you draw on the board and have to do stuff. Sure. Right? Like a charade or a Pictionary. The different thing that I hadn't seen before about this is that it's um, cooperative. Yeah. I mean, it's which, yeah, you know, can it, it always, it always depends on the group, right? Every different kind of people, my family happen to be mostly very competitive mm-hmm. in different ways. And so when we do team kind of party games, yeah. it very often ends in yelling, oh, and, <laughs> brawling and stuff. I and, get it. Okay. Sure. And stuff like that. So a game where we're all working together can be, uh, much more fun like we can't play we have a handful of games that have been banned we're like yeah this is you know any little issues that people had throughout the day can come out in that kind of emotionally intense situation playing a yeah, game i can get that and you know i mean in general i you know my immediate family is like 14 15 adults i have seven brothers and sisters and four of them three of them are married so they have in-laws and there's just so many personalities we all get along which is uh you know fairly rare I think. <laughs> right but yeah i'm always on the lookout for something new that's going to be fun and easy and not too complicated but not too boring because so many of those party games have some kind of mechanic that just makes it not fun for somebody uh we very often play the game of things okay um which has two major problems for me uh, one is that it has an elimination mechanic. So if you get guessed really early, then you're out and there's nothing for you to do. Yeah, elimination mechanics are sometimes just bad, half an right? hour in general. And then there's a like handwriting uh, component. So the judge has to read things that all of the participants wrote down. And because people have to be constantly paying attention and they aren't, that person has to keep reading those answers over and over. And it's and it's really tedious. Right. Um, but we bought a copy of this just one or one word. What, I forget what it's called, but I'll put a link in mm-hmm. the show notes. Um, the other one is a game called Trophies, which we played. It's a deck of cards with it's um, by Facade Games. They have a, a handful of games they've made that look the boxes look like books. Okay. If that means anything to you, one is uh, Deadwood and one is Tortuga. <laughs> okay. But they have years with them. But um, anyway, this game is a deck of cards that have a letter on the front and a gr- uh, like a list of four categories on the back. And so the judge holds the whole deck up so that um, the letter is shown to the group. And then they pick one of the categories on the back. And the first person that can yell out an answer that starts with that letter that satisfies the judge gets that card. And so it's just really quick. And you go through the whole deck, and whoever has the most cards gets a little trophy. It looks like a little Monopoly piece. Yeah. And and we didn't give that out when we did that. No, uh, because we were in the uh, um, because we were in the RV. It was kind of crowded. There were a couple small children. It was a little chaotic, even more so than the game 
itself would uh would lead to but i thought it was you know there's very little to it but i thought it was good for what it was trying to do yeah yeah i'm i'm always mixed on on these games I, I, because i appreciate what they are and they're they not, i mean i appreciate the reason we we all play them right hmm. and 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 I, and i also don't always want to play a game that has parts and pieces or that i have to figure out strategy for and everything but mm-hmm. um i i i games like the pictionary and stuff feel like i i have a hard time getting excited about them like or or any kind of thing with them because mm-hmm. it feels like everyone i'm playing with is like this is the best thing since I've ever played games before. Mm. Board games have never been this good before. And I'm like, you're, you're sure. just playing sorry. Right. You know, <laughs> you gotta. yeah, it's, it's differentiating between different people and what, like, not everything has to be for sure. Everything to somebody. How did, do you want to talk about, um, Bloomtown? I don't remember that. One. Which one was that one? <laughs> that was the game we played late Saturday night. Oh, man. I'm I'm surprised you don't remember because you won. Oh, did I did I win that one? Okay, sure. <laughs> we played uh, <laughs> late you and Saturday I night. And, means there was a lot there that I was going uh, happening with me at that. Time. <laughs> it was very late. It was like it was like one a.m. or something. You, me, Trotsky, and uh, Marcus played it. Okay, tell me about this game. It was with a grid, and you put the little shops down on the grid, and they score based on what color they are. Oh, yeah, and that game. Yes, in. I remember. Okay, yeah, okay, I won that game. It was like. <laughs> It was like between two cities, yeah. but without the playing with the people on either side of you mechanic. Yeah. Um, and it is a four-player limit, and it was okay, but I don't think I would buy a copy of it. I, I wouldn't either. I, uh, I mean, it's it right off the bat when when Mike starts describing it, he's doing things like uh, there's eight million different ways to to, to score points, and. It's, yeah. it's really complicated with every, well, if you have this one, then it overlaps with this one, and then it combos with this one. You're like, whoa, that's just, see, now that's, see, we're talking about the, the same things, but the opposite way. It's like, there you went too far. Therefore, you're going to lose everyone who wants some kind of <laughs> casual thing, right? It's interesting. The interesting thing about that game is it led into this conversation I had with Mike Trotsky about what games you can play with who. Yeah. Um, the it actually made me appreciate between two cities more because the the idea of working together with the players on either side of you is an interesting thing that i hadn't seen before so i was like yeah sure i'll pick up this game but something it does that i really didn't realize until i was talking to mike about it is the difficult thing in introducing a complicated strategy game to non-gamers and even to gamers is learning the rules yeah, and people remembering all the rules because people get impatient and they're like, yes. let's just start playing and I'll figure it out as I That's go. That's my worst like, I, well, that phrase kills me. <laughs> we're we're going to get 90 minutes into this game and you're going to go, oh, I didn't know it was going to be so important for me to collect these yellow cards. Yeah, like I, I was going to tell and you that at the beginning, but you were like, you'll figure it out, right? It's just really hard to keep a group of people's undivided attention, you know, for long enough to get all those rules across. The thing that um, helps in between two helps with that in between two cities is because you have to work together with the people on either side of you. People end up learning the rules themselves as they're explaining it to the person on either side of them. And it takes some of the pressure off, you know, me or 
person introducing the game. Like maybe you have to answer it once. They're like, now how do these work? And you're like, it's like that. But the person on their left or right might remember and, and tell them. And they're paying attention because they're trying to work together. Well, that, that game in particular suffered really highly from... Um, uh, quality is not the right word. It's just um, information representation. Like the, it, yeah. it, it had. There's some graphic design issues on the tiles. Yeah, this is it, Bloom it, Town it, it's like you're supposed about. to know that these kind of purple ones with this little highlighted you know, tomato on top means a thing. And like, yeah, that's not a good thing. I mean, when people have to, no. what you're talking about, especially <laughs> when people who might have bad eyesight or, you know, you have to pick up color tiles blindness and color blindness. Or, and, it's, yeah. and what, really all you need is like a diamond on this one, a star on that one, you know, <laughs> an X, you know, it's just kind of. You can do those graphic designs. If I'm not saying you shouldn't have cards and stuff, but just do like a nice simple symbol thing so that you can kind of see it or shape the cards or do something to make it visually. And and this that game did did not. Um, and honestly, when I I won that game, but the reason I won that game was because I picked one strategy that was, hey, these are yellow cards, and I know what they do, right? And mm. I just got every yellow card that came out and did and put it in one strategy type thing. Right. Um, so it has a lot of RNG things, but yeah, I think one thing we should talk about on the show sometime is come up with kind of a list of good, cause there's a lot of good games there that are in the middle there that are not too mm. complicated for families, but are still fun with a little bit more thoughts to them. Right. Or right. Some, some of the things that Mike has says is that things that you can quickly explain, right. That have some yeah. depth to them, but you can quickly explain them. Yeah, so that you don't the have the, the, you know, I'll play, learn as I go type thing. Because mm-hmm. we, we may even like those were like, I, I think, was it Century Gollum and stuff like that are really great games. But you still kind of have to explain them. Uh, yeah. But there's there are several that you just have to have like four or five rules and then you're like, okay, now let's go. And then just, yeah, then just go from there. Yeah. Well, I'll put links to those games in the show notes. But uh, yeah, next week, like, we should bring together a couple, our own like list of like four or five games that are good for family type things. Yeah, I'll, I'll be thinking about that this week while I'm uh, spending time with my family. Uh, we've got a couple of movies here to talk about because we finished up, um, well, you finished up Seven mm-hmm. Samurai, right. and we watched, uh, for this week, No Country for Old Men. Mm-hmm. And then maybe if we have some notes and comments on the movies we watched this past weekend, um, where do you want to start? Uh, let's let's just hit hard, and so we can get through a couple of these things. Let's go, let's start with uh, our our movie challenges. Yeah, let's start with last week's first. This is Seven Samurai, nineteen fifty four. Akira Kurosawa. It's called Seven Samurai, and it's about Seven Samurai, Seven but Samurai. it's not. It's not what at the time in the era really would be a samurai movie. It's not like a kung fu movie. At all. There's very little yeah. fighting. It's um, it's not like what you would think is when, especially in the time, would think of what anything that has Asian in it, right? <laughs> right. It's a it's a story, and so let me. I don't have my bell with me, but I have a sound on my computer, so let me play that real quick. Yeah, they Hopefully they they don't too loud. have. Um, We're gonna spoil the. You know when you when you else. watched an Asian type th- show back then, you you had expectations of what that way very mm-hmm. ethnic racist kind of expectations. But but um, Kurosawa <laughs> made 
good movies. He had good stories and good, you know, filmmaking. He, and then- he told stories, and I and I read up and listened a little bit to get some more background on this because this is a this is a whole world of film. Like I'm not a big action movie person. Um, I had not seen this before. I had only heard um, things that people say about it. He never had any interest in making a samurai movie. Um, but when somebody came to him with this story, then he was interested. He's like, I'll, I'll make a movie that is a story about samurai, but he, he had no interest in just making a, a like an action. Movie. What, what you might've thought was a samurai movie. Right. Right. So yeah, he, he made, he made a, a good movie. Yeah. And the, uh, so this one is the, tr- the setup for this thing, I guess. Um, it is a movie that we've all seen a hundred different <laughs> ways, but this is the first kind of thing. Right. It was. It's, it's the, um, the building the team. What did they say? The, yeah, it's building the team. The podcast I listened to, um, said that the, uh, um, the Criterion Collection box of Kurosawa Films, the tagline on it says, your favorite director's favorite director. <laughs> sure. Right? It's like there are there are elements in here that we see again and again. Um, the introduction of the main uh, samurai, his name is um, Kambe. I, you're going to get me with the names because I can't. I'm going to get you with the names. I, I the guy who shaves his head. Yeah. See, if you can give me descriptions, I might be able to yeah. get some of them. So the two that you'll remember that you notice, well, maybe three, there's the young one, there's the main leader, yep. and there's the the goofy, crazy one. Right. Th- those dudes are the are definitely the highlights. There was one other dude that stood out that was kind of, he always had a smile he felt like he was. He starts with a G. His name was, and he he was um, kind of the main dude's right hand man type type thing. Yeah, he's he's kind of um, kind of jovial. Right. He's the one that recruited uh, the axe cutter, and he kind of walks in and starts looking at. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So this this movie had, um, like I said, it's a story. It's recruiting the team. Uh, if you've seen the Magnificent Seven or mm-hmm. again any show where they recruit people to go help help the, the downtrodden people. That's what this is. Um, so the, 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 this is where I started the to say in the you se- know, anything. Yeah. The a team in the sequence where they introduce Kambe when he's shaving his head, like you're getting some stuff that would have been really, really obvious to a Japanese audience, especially in the fifties. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea of him shaving his head, but even to us, we can get in the acting and the framing that this is a big deal. And if you're watching a movie about samurai, you probably can tell or you probably know or can tell that their um, hairstyle with the the partially shaved head and thing is, there's a word for that that I don't remember, is a big deal. Clearly, I don't know what it is, but I know that it is, right? (laughs) Right. Because you see them doing it and then he does this thing of humbling himself, pretending to be a monk so that he can save this child and kills this, this kidnapper off screen. Um, one of, one of Siskel or Ebert, I forget which one names this as the first time in a movie that a hero is introduced doing something heroic. That's completely unrelated to the story. Okay. And I don't know, 
I don't know whether that's true. I can't confirm or deny that. But, of course, modern movies do this all the time. Right. Right? Like, almost every Bond film starts with him doing a chase to catch some guy, and it's it has nothing to do with the main story. Well, that's that's the real um, trick here. A lot of the Marvel movies do this. Yeah. It's like... We're gonna we're gonna t- show you this little vignette of a story, this little little tiny story, just to set up this character, right? Um, and who he is, like this character in this movie, you know, is a is a samurai, but is now relaxed enough with the well, they have a um, I think it's called Bushido Code. It's like the West, our version of that would be like chivalry for knights. Right. Um, and it's part of like their uniform and their hair and everything. And he's relaxed enough about that stuff in this situation where he can save a child's life. So he's, he has honor, but it's a different kind of honor that's not bound by these specific rigid codes. And you get all that information just in this little sequence. Right. The- and it has almost no dialogue. The 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 trick here is that, uh, li- like you said, we see it a million times. We see it every day. It's on everything right. now. So, I mean, if not watching this with that perspective, it, it can be just okay, right? Like you, I I've said this for other movies that we've watched historical stuff before, and you're like, I, yeah, I've seen it a hundred times since then, and I've seen it a hundred times better. And, and that isn't necessarily mm. not true for this one. Like if you watch Seven Samurai and you, I don't even know, say so you don't realize, it, but if you just watch it just as a movie, you're going to be like, okay, I saw this kind of thing in this other movies and they were so much better and cooler and better and stuff. You're like, yes, yes. But if mm-hmm. you honestly watched movies that were made in the fifties, which we have, you mm-hmm. would, you would, there's no way that this is anywhere comparable. This is a real movie with real, does real normal things that we see today that it's taken, you know, 40 years before they started realizing that this is what they kind of need, always needed to do for everything, that this should be part of the normal movie making Bible is do these kind of things. Yeah. And I don't want to, I don't want to spend too much time on, on this, but I've been thinking about different directors that people really, um, talk about a lot um kurosawa's one um um more a more um contemporary example is edgar wright or people talk about tarantino um uh the westerns uh sergio leone yeah and i think that there's a trend there's a pattern of directors that are that are well known like particularly in the circles of people that talk about directors like we talk about directors, but I think doing this podcast has moved us closer on the spectrum uh, toward critics, between critics and fans. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, just because we become a little bit students of this kind of thing. Like, people who make films, it's like I said earlier, the thing, your, your favorite director's favorite director. Like, directors and people who make films are keenly aware of who a director is for a movie. Where if you ask your average Marvel fan who directed Iron Man 2, who directed Iron Man 3, most of them probably don't know. No, see, um, see. It's just not important. But the ones that people know that people talk about, they seem to usually be directors who convey a lot of information visually. Because that's the 
that's the thing that film and television has that other mediums don't have. I mean, maybe theater, but theater has its own whole set of, of things because the audience can be so far away right. and stuff like that. But if you're just telling a story mostly in dialogue, music, sound effects, and the visual isn't as important, right? It's just two characters talking and they're telling the joke and there's nothing in the frame that is adding to that joke, um, then it's like a radio play or, you know, like we used to have radio dramas. And now, I mean, people do them in podcasts, so it's not dead, but it used to be the main form of entertainment before TV. Um, I don't know where <laughs> I was completely going with that thought, although it does tie into our next film, but I won't, well, the, I won't jump so too far ahead. This, this kind of goes to something we talk about. I think that when we talk about any of these movies that are, we watch that are historical movies that goes back back anything sure. especially before our own lifetimes um watching this stuff is that you mean you mean historical in the history of film in the history of film and and that's because this this movie is also a historic it's a period piece yeah oh well, yeah well yes it's a period piece but it's also historic I, I don't know if it's it's on this list because it's a period piece i think it's on this list because in the history of significant cinema in, and in film, film it's a thing that, yeah. that stands out um i i, I you know I get I'd go back and forth here. I like I think these shows have have um helped me take a moment, appreciate what they are for what they are, how they were made and why again why we say this is on on a list or why people who are movie mm-hmm. art auteurs would say this is this is a show and this is also going to lead into our next movie here. Um why they they say a thing, but I have the other thing is that when I sit down on Thanksgiving when we're all, we've all had our, we've all had our food and my family likes to sit down and watch a, watch a movie. And mm-hmm. I guarantee you this would not come up. It would, no one would fly. They would, right. no one would last over 10 minutes with it, but you could put on set. You could put on, um, the magnificent seven and they totally would, or mm-hmm. other things that are just like it and inspired by it later on in, in, in time. And they totally would love it. It'd be an epic thing. Like, Oh, I'm so glad I watched that. And, and like what you, I know movie auteurs would say, well, then why don't you like Seven Samurai? It was the original. Like, it was the original. And there's a lot of appreciation to it there. But if you're sitting down and you're trying to think of, on in general, what's the most entertaining for today? Mm-hmm. Is this the most entertaining for today? Is this the one thing you're like, of all these kind of movies, this is the one you want to watch? Uh, right. I mean, and I'm not talking about someone who's a critic. I'm not going to tell Fox right. to go, you, you know, watch. You're talking about the, the average person. Did you ever, um, this is a thing that I have just vague recollections of from my childhood, but did you ever have a thing where at Christmas or Thanksgiving, somebody would put on one of um, one of the other films of this era that were incredibly long, like I'm thinking about Ben-Hur or Ten Commandments? Yeah, oh yeah, sure, yeah. Ten Commandments was a... Was and it's a just like a thing that's on, I mean... I think the the only, maybe not only, but the prime differentiator there is that this is in Japanese and people have to read it. Oh, yeah, sure, sure, um, sure. But with if you didn't have that, I think if you were already familiar with the story, if somebody told you, like, they're these farmers and they're afraid of these bandits and they hire these samurais right. to help them, you could come in and sit down and watch this, watch half an hour of this movie and get up and go play a game. Sure. And you wouldn't have because the 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 scenes and the sequences are almost episodic. Um, 
in in parts of it. That's a really good. That's a really good description. I, I think that really but is. I th- and that that was one of the things that I know that you and I had talked kind of offline is that I kind of had a problem with it. Discussing it like episodic makes a lot of sense because you're you're looking at this whole sequence and it's a long sequence about a thing. Mm-hmm. Like you mentioned the the monk scene going into there and you're like, that's a whole mm-hmm. sequence that goes on for a while. And there's long pauses when they go up and do weird things like he he walks these these people he's, he's shaving his head on the side and every like 50 people are all standing around and then he says what's going on and they just stare at each other for like two minutes and then it you know then they explain what's happening and then you walk around the corner and it just stares at the thing for like two minutes it's like it does these long sequences that feel very mm-hmm. long and they're great in their own encapsul- encapsulated things but to the whole picture of the story it just seems to go on for a long time. Yeah. For some of those, I definitely had sequences where, like, I I started to kind of zone out. And then it was punctuated by other sequences where I was just completely focused on it. I was, it just completely grabbed me. Um, the particular example I'm thinking of is when the... the few samurai go up to the bandit hideout. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah. Um, And it's another one of those where there's no dialogue for a long time. Yeah. It's, it's intentional because they're sneaking up. They're not making any noise, but you see um, the woman in the, you see a lot of women in the house, but you particularly see one, the wife. Yeah. And you find out it's one of the farmer's wife, right? But you don't, You've been given bits of information about him, like somebody, you know, one of the samurai says that he should find himself a wife and he gets super upset and nobody tells the samurai why. Right. And then later you you see her, but it takes a long time to get that information. Like she's there and they see her and a couple of the samurai make, you know, nonverbal gestures at each other like they're going to set the bandits house on fire. Well, that's the thing is like today's day, that storyline, that little like line through line is so retread and redone that it's almost grown worthy when you watch it now you're like well of course his wife has been killed or kidnapped by bandits since the first moment you Mm. see him you know that but back then when this released there was nothing like that and for many years there was nothing with that kind of a storyline type thing that emotional you know connections that they had so when you were in 1972 and you watch this movie you still (laughs) didn't have those good kind of storylines in there I think for me, because, I mean, I did watch this movie in a couple sittings, but I was very, I was paying attention to a lot of different things that I I was missing some of that stuff with his wife, or I was forgetting because I'd come back and I couldn't remember, ah. you know, why this and this was significant. But you, you see her, and then they set the thing on fire, and the, the bandits and the women that they've taken, you know, were not prostitutes, but whatever they've just taken as concubines um, start running out and she comes out, she sees him and she runs back inside. And that was the moment where it all clicked for me or either that happens. And then somebody finally tells the samurai, like that's his wife. And then all the pieces from the foreshadowing click together for me. Um, I had just not been paying attention to the right things Uh, to get that. And that's, I was like, Oh, okay. Now, I get it. I, I think from that scene forward is when the movie got started picking up its pace finally. 
like a couple of the scenes that I was talking about were, were, were slow and forever is, and it's, and again, it's just comparison today's modern stuff yeah. is, is like when they're going, making the journey from the town that they get them in back to the farmer's area, that's a good five mm-hmm. to 10 minutes where they're just constantly showing pictures of the, I wish I knew his, his name is my favorite samurai that, that the rogue samurai, um, the goofy, the one. goofy one who keeps following them. And there's like five different scenes of them, him following them and them stopping and then talking to him and then throwing rocks at him. And then a whole sequence where he's catching a fish with his hands. And you're like, this has nothing to do with anything, nor does it move anything forward. It's just a long period of time where they're telling this thing about him. And then they, they reinforce it several. And today's day, they, you, you would have them having travel music and seeing him walking behind them. And then comment on it and then go on. Yeah, you could have the same thing. You would just get there a little bit faster. Right. Uh, so um, so that's, I, that's just, like I said, that's just today's thing. Right. And it would annoy and, people and, today watching it. And just to, you know, be whatever, clear, clear on that. When this movie was released in the U.S., even at the time, like I don't think it was immediate, but um, it was edited down. I fairly significantly Which like is amazing to me, me. Maybe not half, but a significant and in the in the history for context, this is within within a like a less than a couple years um after we, the United States, left um withdrew our occupying force from Japan. Oh, right. Okay. So like this is this is within ten years of the end of World War Two this movie came out and up until that point when we when we were occupying japan um all the movies had to pass through you know u.s military censorship right right like we didn't want people you know showing propaganda films in theaters or whatever and so there's you know there's whatever a little a little bit of that context just in the world of japanese film in the 50s like it was had it was going through a huge increase but this is just after that happened but when it was released here it was down to something like like two hours like almost half um the length and then over the years people have tried to put together like a couple of other versions and then when this we watched the criterion collection edition is the full original um kurosawa edited version that was shown in 1954 the the full one yeah so and, yeah. and it was and they, it was three and a half hours long. Yeah, it was it was three and a half hours long, and so part of that Kurosawa is is known is one of the few directors that's known for editing his own work, and in in some ways you see um, the benefit of that where he is composing the whole scene in the transitions between the different kinds of action and the the two scenes that we talked about with the the woman and the bandit. I don't, and the introduction of Kambe and him shaving his head. And then the sort of downside to that you can also see is that in the in a similar way to like when we watched The Shining and we're like, yeah, it's so deliberate and like make sure that every moment has enough time to like breathe and be seen and be realized especially for something older like this where people were not as overloaded with entertainment and and stuff as we are now um 
that that stuff just it's it's just hard to keep keep attention on. I know I struggled with that and I really wanted to, but I'm like, uh, it's it's just hard for me to sit and focus on a thing. That's one of the things I like about seeing movies in the theater is that it's dark and all that's shot out. Like and it, it makes can't. it kind of makes you watch it. And it a, makes you right, I mean, and, and I bet as as, you as long as there are no noisy children. Right, we did not no, we did not get seven, seven samurai. Uh, back then you did not get seven samurai experienced at home hardly ever like until the 80s no. at, at earliest right. right everyone watched it in the theater so everyone had the experience of what that was to what it was like and what that epic type thing was which is which is fine and actually i think it would be a lot better because also the movie was kind of dark i watched it in my room even and it was just kind of because oh, it was just visually dark, visually dark. And that's what made mm-hmm. me have a hard time knowing characters because they were always shooting sure. indoors. They were always in a house. And when they traveled to the farm town, I was like, oh, good. Finally, they're going to be out of that house at the, <laughs> in the town. And they're like, the first thing they do is like, here, you can stay in our house. I'm like, oh, it's just like the other house. And I can't tell the difference. It's, a, it's a lot of interiors. Apparently, uh, partly because it's the kind of director he was, um, they built this whole village as the set for this movie. Okay. And so they have actual like streets and huts and they're filming inside. And he knew that all of that stuff was going to be difficult, but they did that. And then when they needed to, they set stuff on fire and just burned it down. Right. It's kind of crazy. Like we, you know, we would not do that that way now. I mean, we still, you know, with practical effects, build stuff and light it on fire, but it's much more often like with miniatures or, facades or like they had an actual hut and they actually set fire to it right uh, the uh crazy so so yeah this was this was a good movie i mean i i enjoyed it mm-hmm. i i did have a hard time getting it, through it you know we talk about long it movies. definitely holds up better than almost anything it actually really does it, that's it really does that's something too is that the it was subtitled, so a long movie that's subtitled and de- a subtitled movie demands your attention it just sure. it, you have to. Um, mm-hmm. So this movie that has long sequences and is demanding you to watch it can get arduous to watch. But the words and the dialogue were made sense. It wasn't things that right. I didn't understand. There was a few scenes which were aggravating because historical type things in the 50s. Where you're like, dude, slap that guy. Or what is wrong with mm. you? When, when they would they would try to get the villagers to fight and they would just stand there and I'm like, oh my God, there's no way that these are all completely simpletons, you know? Um, right, it was just, right. That's just writing of the time. But some of it's some of it's the 50s. Some of it is is the culture. Yeah. Uh, who knows? Right. So us, so but. it was uh, there. Were, but that but that was that was little. That's very little compared to a lot mm-hmm. of the movies back then. I mean, it just yeah. it still has its. A few of those moments, but for the most part, the characters are very compelling. All of the people are interesting and different, and it has some really good, good storytelling. Namely, again, my favorite. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta learn his name. Samurai, that the guy that's the farmer, and that just slowly takes through. And he's you don't know he's a farmer until much later into the game, and he gets. Uh, um, at the beginning, he's just this rogue samurai that's not a real samurai, and he, he lies. The, the and, goofy, laughy guy. Yeah. His character's name is Kikuchio. Kikuchio, yeah. So he, I mean, he gets, you know what I mean? His whole character arc is pretty incredible. It really yeah, you, is. You get this eventually. I think maybe this was, because this is a period piece. It's feudal Japan. Mm. But I think that, and it's toward the end, like it's in decline, which is another thing that you see all the time, like, 
you know, I mean, this is post... I actually don't know where this fits into when Lord of the Rings came out. But there's so many of those kind of stories where the world building is toward the end of something. Something is in decline. There was a vast empire, but now it's it's fading and there are almost no knights left. There's almost no magic left or right. whatever. This is this kind of thing like the the lords that these samurai served have been killed off or whatever and more and more of them are um, are ronin who have turned to banditry like they become criminals or there are these guys like these guys have honor especially uh kambe the the leader but they're not they're not super great like you said the one guy is just chopping wood and um the the first guy the named guy who's who's kambe's right-hand man i forget his name he says his story like something happened and he was just like he hid in the in the tall grass until they left like um you know and so there's this this setting of like um stuff fading away but um the one of the significant things about the kikuchio character is it was well known and understood that nobody moved from one group to the other right yeah. farmers were born farmers and they were always farmers right the samurai were born into samurai families and were samurai they couldn't become farmers any more than a farmer could become samurai right um except somehow kikuchio dies right and so he's he looks at everything a little bit differently than the rest of them yeah the the uh and and, and he, at the end i mean actually at the end like halfway through he is a samurai type thing anyway um right and and him him dying had a big impact. Like when he died, I was like, mm. oh no, right? And by the way, mm -hmm. these movies that are later on come on and change or improve it or redo it or whatever that that kind of stuff has this that's kind of a key component to this is that you get you build the team, you have several it's important that they get the influence from Kurosawa, that you get a few of them at least that have very specific character personalities that have some kind of history or mm -hmm. past to them. And you get a, it's important that you get attached to a couple of them and then they meet their demise in whatever yeah. shootout it tends to be. And, and that's what right. makes these movies like these movies and Kurosawa set that up and made that. So, mm -hmm. which is cool. Okay. So yeah. let's bring this one to a final close here. Yeah. In, in final judgments, um, I think that I would almost, I don't know where or or what's out there i would almost which is funny for our conversation we had offline but um for some people i would recommend trying to find like the original american edit of this maybe um although if you are like me and want to approach something like this as a little bit of a a student of film not not to be confused with a film student mm -hmm. i guess um you know, this is an iconic thing. It's a piece and a director. It's you know, if you name a if you name this director Kurosawa, um, he, people think Seven Samurai. Like this is his most sure. well known and identifiable work, and it's a thing that influenced filmmakers for decades. Um, so if those things are interesting to you, 
then you should absolutely watch it and absolutely watch the Criterion full original edit. Um, and I think even beyond that, something that I said in our in our spoiler section is that for a movie made in 1954 in black and white in Japanese, it holds up remarkably well. Right. It it really does. I I, I enjoyed it. Uh, let's do this. Would you put it on your on your hundred hundred bucket list of things you would tell people you need to watch this movie? I mean, I think if there's, you know, if in the in the definition of what a bucket list is a thing that you should see before you die if you watch movies absolutely this belongs on a list uh i would agree that it belongs on a list i would not mm-hmm. say it belongs on my list be- simply be- sure. simply because i would put other movies that have been done better since then that, that's really rough to say cuz how do you do better for something that's the original that's that's sure. a whole argument there but um uh, it's just been enhanced so much with so, so many other shows that this is the root of the goodness. Um, but I think of it a lot. Um, thinking about it makes me go back a lot to um, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah, sure. And- as as the same kind of like thing that influenced so many subsequent things. Sure. And and I and like I said I I I definitely like it. It's good, but it's really weird, hard to say that you know that I I wouldn't recommend the original. It's not that I wouldn't recommend this movie, but if they're like you, if I've got a hundred movies that you should watch in your lifetime to get a thing, I think there are, in my humble entertainment opinion of having <laughs> the, this, the time to spend on your time, there are several movies afterwards that are this and. I, I think you would be more entertained at watching and you get the same kind of thing. Um, mm. and, and my personal thing, and this, this is definitely not the most popular sure. opinion Me. would be like the magnificent seven. And mm. it might be just cause it's a cowboy thing or whatever reason, but uh, <laughs> it, you know, it was easier to consume and easier to watch sure. and more relatable, easy. It just felt more a relatable. lot sure. smoother. Um, same, same exact thing. It's the same exact storyline just a little bit different, but it was easier mm. to watch. I, I related with it a lot more. Um, so that's why this wouldn't be on my list, but not saying that a seven samurai inspired show would not end up on my list. It probably, there's gotta be one definitely on my list somewhere. <laughs> one, one that you can think of. Right. Okay. So that's, that's last week's. Yep. And then this week's movie is the Coen brothers, no country for old men. Yes. Uh, once, once again, we're gonna spoil this one, so I'm gonna play this. I got a question for you on this one. So okay. you had texted me earlier on, I think today, with this statement. This, this Possibly. is super. I'm gonna paraphrase here. This is super yeah. Cohen Brothers. What, what do you mean mm-hmm. by that? You know, I'm not entirely sure. Okay. Um, in their catalog of film, um, I have seen somewhere between a third and half. So it's higher than our other categories where I'm like, you know, and maybe not Spielberg, but like for Kubrick, like I, well, we watched Apocalypse Now and The Shining for this. And aside from that, I've seen 2001 and... Uh, Doctor Strangelove, which again we'll watch sometime in the next year. Yeah. Um, but 
in the Coen Brothers films. Like we watched um, Big Lebowski mm-hmm. earlier this year, but I've seen um, Barton Fink, Hudsucker Proxy, Fargo, O Brother Art Thou. Uh, I'm looking down the list. Burn After Reading. Um, some of these are not, some of these are produced. It's, it's not the great list, but so somewhere between half and a third. And there's a distinct style that they have that is not as easy to quantify as like Tarantino's style. Okay. Where anytime somebody brings up Tarantino, I'm like, oh yeah, long, tense, deliberate dialogue sequences punctuated by it has that cartoon level it, violence. Sure. Like, um, but there are certain things. Um, some uh like a lot of visual storytelling right um sure. sort of introducing and developing a character just with cinematography and action and i don't mean action like fighting it could just be them walking into a room out outside to their car they do the thing and you go and all of that so that's part of it okay um the very distinct um this isn't always true but a very distinct period aesthetic right like all the cars are the same era the buildings and the decor and the carpeting and and all that and the clothes will fit into a very specific aesthetic um almost to the to the same extent that you see in a bbc costume drama like downton abbey except it's not that's not as important to the story. It's just like we're in this time, it's this year, you know, this um this movie is set in like I wanna say nineteen eighty, somewhere right around there. And this was made in oh seven. Right. So like they just decided that this story was gonna be set in this time. So the technology is at a certain level. There are no cell phones or anything. Yeah. But other than that, it doesn't really matter except that um um except for what it looks like the the rest of it is just people interacting and it could be in any time but they decided to make it in this time and they committed to that with all of the visual I've just combined that all individual the cars the buildings the yeah um all that stuff so that is a thing That's that i noticed <laughs> um like i said it's harder to quantify um, a lot of the same actors, right? The, the directors do this, um, where they have favorite actors. I watched a, um, I think it's no frame of painting or something video about Kurosawa and how he edited for action. And they showed clips from a bunch of his movies. And I kept seeing the same people. I was like, oh, that's the guy who played combat. Well, he had a lot of the same actors, in all of his movies. Yeah. Um, the Coen brothers often do a thing where the, the principals, the leads will be different people, but they'll have a lot of the same, um, supporting cast. Yeah. From their other movies. Um, so that's some of it. Uh, some of it is the kind of, how do I want to say this? The characters, the actors, look look real and i mean that kind of negatively look real. does that make sense like sure. they don't have 
they don't they have cast bed they have bedhead or like the the makeup is done in a way to be kind of it's like you know this person lives in a trailer and so they look like you know slightly above an, an act like you you're never going to see an actual um you know tra- I'm going to use the expression trailer trash kind of person in a movie like they're still an actor they're still above average uh, attractiveness but like the makeup and everything is it it almost looks like it could be a documentary with really really good filming <laughs> right um so i guess all of those elements together um c- comprise that style and i'm not including the story and the way it ends because i had that reaction within the first half hour of watching this i'm like wow this is this is super coen brothers <laughs> well the the uh i i i guess i hadn't seen a lot or couldn't put who the Coen brothers were and what they had done before or right. not like I, like Tarantino, I definitely had like, he's very stark in everything he's done. It's very distinct. It's very yeah. distinct. And when you watch that, you're like, I've seen this before and I know that. Right. So this movie, uh, you want to give us a quick synopsis. So if people haven't watched this one, kind of what, what it's about. Okay. Cause a lot of people, um, I mean, just kind of a short <laughs> one. It's hard to do. Yeah. With. So, uh, um, what Thanos is wandering through the desert right, with a cowboy exactly. hat on. It's uh, Josh Brolin. And he comes across a group of um, pickup trucks in a circle, maybe some with lights on. It might still be daytime. And bodies. And so he sort of wanders through this group looking for survivors. He finds one guy kind of bleeding out in a truck, but he can't help him. And, you know, he says, and he sees one of the trucks is full of, I think it's cocaine, which I guess also is, would be significant in setting it in around 1980. And he says, where's the, where's the last man standing? Like he wants to find the guy, the one guy who survived this shootout. And he follows the trail of blood and finds a guy. He like, I think he waits for the guy to die and then. He's resting under a tree and he's got a, a briefcase full of cash. It's like $3 million. And so then the rest of the movie is him just trying to survive with this money and slowly people are after him. And the main guy who's after him is Javier Bardem, who is a just a like a hitman kind of character. Um his i think signature characteristic is that he's carrying around um the equipment used to uh um execute an animal for slaughter okay um it, it's a it's an air tank it's a tank of compressed air and a um a tool in his yep. hand that is a that's like a metal punch right. a metal cylinder will will when he presses it will pop out of this really fast it's like a like a nail gun if you're familiar with that except much larger um and then retract and he uses it once to kill somebody and i think it's a cop um to establish what this is and what it does and then mostly after that he uses it to punch out locks indoors because it shoots the cylinder out but it makes much less noise than a gun he also has a shotgun with a silencer on it and yeah, that's, you that's don't, something right there. 
Yeah, you don't really learn anything about this character except he's working for some of the guys involved in this drug transaction and he's trying to find the money. And then he, he just kills anyone who gets in his way. Um, and then you have Tommy Lee Jones from the implied facepalm meme. Um, that was <laughs> right. funny when I got to that scene. Right. Uh, who's a... A sheriff, a small town sheriff. He he gets he knows this uh, Josh Brolin character and his wife, who is um, Kelly McDonald, who is Merida in Brave. No, except she's doing a, a right. Texas accent instead of her normal Scottish accent. Right. Um. He knows them, and he's trying to help them. Um. The. The criminals. The drug cartels or whatever and presumably although i think this happens off screen javier bardem and the other um some other mexican cartel guys catch up to josh Josh brolin and kill him yeah and then he catches up with josh brolin's wife you don't see what happens there but you know and in it's implied and Tommy Lee Jones's character retires. And he at the end he tells a story about a dream he had about his dad who has passed away you know younger long ago. He says that he's outlived his dad by a couple decades. Um and that you know his in the dream his dad had gone ahead and was waiting for him. And yeah. that's the end of the movie. That's the end of the movie. So, did you like it? Uh, like is a relative term. <laughs> um, I mean, going through it, all the action and watch... I did end up watching this in like... Like, I watched the first half, and then the second half I watched in like three or four sittings because of all this um, traveling chaos that I've had this week, this weekend. Um, yeah. And so that... That... Uh, sort of hurt it a little bit for me. Like I, I would lose track of what was going on. Um, but in that um, Coen Brothers kind of way, I think also identifying their style, I was helped by having seen the first two seasons of the Fargo TV show. Okay. And it's this kind of, I don't know if you've seen the show or the movie Fargo. I'm not either. Not. Um, the show, and I think the movie also, the show is not Coen Brothers, but it's made in their style. Um, it begins with this, this phrase of, this is a true story, except the word true is highlighted. And I had to look this up to understand, because I'm like, is this, this is a real thing that happened, <laughs> right? Based on a true story is what that means. Right. But to them, they used the, they used the word as a genre label. Right. They're like, when people tell true stories, the narrative goes like this. They do these things. Yeah. And it happens to be based on real, actual events. But what they told was a fictional story in a true story style. Right. Which is kind of not true. But yeah, I get it. <laughs> right. It's not true, but it's it's like, quote unquote, true. Right. They put quotes around true because it's not real, but it's it's told this way and to me what that means is 
the the filmmakers or showrunners are going to show me a sequence of events. And there might be something in that that you want to, that makes you feel a certain way or makes you think a certain way about something in the same way that things you experience in life affect you in different ways. Yeah. Maybe you learn lessons from, maybe you are just emotionally impacted by. Um, but that at some point the story is just going to end. Either they'll catch the guy or they won't. He'll get away and commit suicide or he'll go into hiding and never be found from again because that's what happens in real life Yeah, with real stories. Yeah. Um, yeah, sure. That's that's how the, that's how this ended, and um, that's how some of the some not to spoil that too much, but that's how some of the Fargo well um, the, the thing, stuff ends. The thing is, is that after I got to watch this, I've seen this. This is the second time I watched this movie, and I had the mm. same reaction the first one. Obviously, people who know me, how long? How long ago? How long ago did you watch this? Oh, about two years ago. Not okay. ter- terribly long. Uh, I got it and because I hadn't seen it and everybody talked about it and I think it was mm-hmm. on Netflix or somewhere that it was accessible and I was like, sure. Okay. Um, anyone who's ever listened to me ever <laughs> is going to know that this is not my cup of tea at all. Right. Um, and it's namely for this exact same response that I had the first time and this time it's like, man, it must be really tough to be a depressed person in life and you know you just have to like make films i'm not saying as a derogatory term but you know i like to think that i'm more positive thinking and stuff that's why i tend to like happy endings or things Mm -hmm. like that because because the whole statement like the of it's a true story this is a real thing tends to lead itself to say that like life is hard and tough and then we all mm. die and there's taxes. You know, you're you're like, <laughs> yeah, sure. I, You know, if you just want to look at the terrible things of life and you want to, you know, constantly look at all the bad things and not look at the positive and uplifting things and tell the story about how the guy made it through and made a better life. And, right. and he got through with the money, got, got his wife and kid where they, they could, you know, make something of themselves. And then he had a charity and became the biggest, you know. Uh, philanthropist of the world. That's that's the kind sure. of story that I would like. Is like how he came from this rough beginning to this thing. Instead, they're just like, oh yeah, and in life you randomly get hit by a car, or you when you're dead, your wife gets murdered, <laughs> and there's nothing you can do about it because there's psychos out there. I get right. it. I understand it's, it. It's just I I think of it, and and yes, I'm sure that there are actual depressed people who make <laughs> depressing films. I think people who are truly like clinically depressed probably can't well, manage everything that needs uh, yeah, to happen I, for you I to make a film. I shouldn't say depressed. I, I, sh- I should say uh, pessimistic in, I, in their outlook. I, I get what you're saying, pessimistic. I think of it... The, yeah, depressed was a bad term. That's, I should, that and I'm going to generalize this a little bit, but I think of it a little bit like people who really love horror films. Yeah. I think probably a big segment of the audience are people who are maybe not upbeat, but generally positive and optimistic. And just every once in a while want the release of like having to ponder this like dark, hopeless kind of story because things like that really happen. I, I am like you in that regard where I don't, I don't seek out quite as much of the like, Oh, it has to be happy because I, I recognize that in a lot of cases, like in a 
in a romantic comedy. It's only happy because that's where they stop the story. Yeah, right, like right. You don't right, have right. to see them, don't see them get older and yeah, have kids start that fighting with you know, each other rebel or go through midlife crisis or any of that. And and that's just me, but I sometimes in the right mood in a little like it was hard to watch these two movies back to back. Like yeah. if I had seen this before 2 years ago, I would have definitely said like we can talk about this movie and of course I hadn't seen it, so I would have had to see it for us to but um, if I had seen it and you hadn't, I would have said, like, well, let's take a week or two to watch something a little more uplifting and then do another kind of heavy, dark. Because the the ending of Seven Samurai is not depressing, but it's not super happy. No, but, um, but see, that's that's actually a really good example is that, like, I did not. I mean, a lot of people die at the end of those, you know, those kind of movies, mm-hmm. the, the the Seven Samurai-ish movies. A lot of them die. Matter of fact, in some of them, all of them die. But right. but it still doesn't feel terrible because at the end of the day, the village is saved. And right. you know, the, the yeah, and the, and the, the villagers had their had their happy, you know, sort of sort of and I didn't really like, want to spoil the, the, that. The main in, point in was that the bad guys don't win is the thing, right? Right. And, and in, it, a lot in of this these movies, movie the bad guys well not only win. It's just like there's just no hope. And the worst thing that I didn't like about this, which everybody loves and raves about, is that <laughs> everyone dies off screen. All, there, there's hardly anything you see of anything. Yeah. Like Josh Brolin, you come up and oh yeah, he's dead right there. Just that's you don't see his body. Like you don't see the gunfight. You don't uh, see what the, happens. The wife, the wife goes to a funeral, but it's her mother's funeral. Yeah, which another um, scene. You're like what? 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 You know? Whether whether or not she dies is heavily implied, but still left and left open ended. And then even the character who, you know, sort of escapes the situation, the the um, Tommy Lee Jones character. Now he's you can tell that he's unhappy being retired. Yeah, it's like, not happy and on the first day. Right. Um, and so it's it's yeah it's it's almost that um, Black Mirror kind of thing where. Um, yeah, so, so I guess the, the press the no was, hope in the end the press was a, re- a really bad term I shouldn't use because that, that takes a whole other kind of connotation and not fair sure, thing. Sure. But but pessimistic view on life. It's that yeah, and, and so and I don't so, think pessimistic people are bad. They just have a different point of view on things. They a different, they're a different perspective. And I th- well-rounded people, but right. I, I, I think yeah. for me, I probably have more tolerance or appetite for this kind of storytelling than you do but i still am like i got to the end of this movie and i'm like oh okay yeah that's a bummer that's a bummer and (laughs) and i and i felt like i wasted you know a couple hours like okay what was i supposed to get out of this and i had to go this was afterwards not this time but last time i watched it i had to go and read Mm -hmm. some reviews or some stuff like i because i watched this years after it came out and had heard so many great things about it and mm-hmm. then watch it. I was totally stunned at why this is such good. What it was, I had to go find out what people thought. And it was the reasons that I absolutely disliked. It's like, well, because mm-hmm. it, they trick you into thinking in the first two acts that this is one kind of movie. And at the end, they're like, no, life sucks. And you're like, <laughs> and, and, and that's not how real life is. And real life is just, sure. you know, you, you never see when someone dies, they just die. And then, then at the end, you ha- live a terrible, even those who live, live a terrible retirement. You're like, yeah, that's is that really the thing you wanted to tell me? Like, that's exactly what they're trying to tell you, and that's what the book told you about. And I'm like, okay, I should have known that before I got in. And it makes me wonder, 
makes me wonder sometimes. My, my grandma is known for one of those people that wants to know the ending before she starts watching a show. Okay. And it drives me nuts. Um, sure. But I, I could totally see that because she gets very angry, like visibly angry when she is made to watch through a show that has not, does not have a good ending, you mm-hmm. know, or positive, some kind of positive moral thing that happens at the end or whatever. Sure. Uh, some kind of win for the good guys at least. And, mm-hmm. uh, and she will get mad. She's like, you made me sit through a show that's just going to make me feel terrible about life and terrible about all the things that are happening in the world. I live life every day and I understand that it's rough. I don't need <laughs> yeah. to go watch my entertainment time watching somebody else sure. tell me how, how rough life is. I think there's an element of this is one of the main things that, again, defines the spectrum of fan to critic. I'm just going to call it that. Yeah. Like fan is not the best word, but... You know, in the Rotten Tomatoes boxes of like audience and critic. And it's a I call it a spectrum because there are people all over like you and I are not critics. Right. But we're thinking about and talking about movies more than someone at the far fan end, the audience end of that scale. Um, and we we look at things like the Academy Awards, the Oscars, and there are so often things on there that you're you know, people toward the audience end of that scale are going, why is that? That movie was dumb. <laughs> that story was bad. Why was this? And some of that comes from the, like the quantity, the saturation of things. Like if you're a critic, you're watching so many movies, you're watching movies all the time. And so you see, you're much more sensitive to um, common themes and elements or what we call tropes. Yeah. You're like, oh, that's just that. Like, that has not been done better since Kurosawa did it in 54. And you're just doing it again. You're rehashing the same ground. You've got this, you know, douchebag ex or current boyfriend that we're clearly not supposed to like in XYZ. And you see all of that stuff. And so the movies that very often catch your attention are things that are different in some way. Um, a, <laughs> uh, specific example of this that happened to me completely unrelated to movies is um we went to a beer fest one year and our friend brian was uh volunteering so he was not sampling beers and at one point in the evening he said have you had anything that was good that that stands out and i was like and i had i'm sure i had sampled at least 20 or 30 different beers and so i was like well that booth over there has some cider that's kind of interesting and he was like, oh, that's funny. It's a beer fest. You're right. Insider. Because that's the kind of person he is. But in all of those flavors and all those things I had experienced, the cider was the only thing that stood out because it was so different. Um, and so I think there's an element of that in stuff like this where people are like, oh, I'm so tired. Everything's always the, the happy ending, you know, X, Y, Z, whatever. Like, here's a real, you know, thing. And it it's, of course, you know, the... The IMDb score on this is 8.1, so it's it can't be just critics, but um Yeah, that that's that's I can, the way I can thing see I get. where something like that appeals to people. Um now, but, how, how, yeah, did, how did how did those scores are always so weird to me? I, I read the the Seven <laughs> Samurai thing talking about how it had a hundred percent uh rotten tomato score, and it was like out of sixty reviews, it had a hundred percent. I'm like, okay, that's a small sample size, right? Like what's what's the 
What's the published reviews? Well, we've talked about this before. The Rotten Tomato scores are the they're not an aggregate score, although they do show those. The prominent numbers that they show are percent of the audience because their format for critics is they aggregate the critic scores from all the other places, right? Where people post them in newspapers and blogs and whatever. And everybody has a different scale. Well, they're really only like three or four scales, but, um, you know, it might be out of five. It might be out of four. It might be out of 10. Yeah. And so they have a point, a mathematical, you know, fraction where they say, if it's, if it's a five, I think it's like, if it's five stars, if it gets at least three, or if it's 10, it's got to get at least six. Those are the same thing. But you, you get what I'm saying. Right. If it hits a certain threshold, Rotten Tomatoes considers it positive. If it doesn't, it considers it negative. And then it takes that number, it takes that data and says, okay, 60% of the reviews were positive. It's not that the average score is 60%. Oh, it's that they were it's, that they were that those were all positive. Like of those six so, things, yeah, they were all, all positive. the published reviews of that movie were positive. Oh, well, like, that, that makes some all, might have been sevens and sense. some might have been nines. Like but, you could be yeah. a fifty-one percent positive and you're still count as a one hundred percent positive. Yeah, it's it's more. It's not fifty percent, but, uh, but like yeah. a five, I think, still counts as negative out of ten. But right. um, on IMDb, I'm pretty sure that it's it's aggregate. Um, we didn't talk about this a couple, but a couple weeks ago we watched, um, this is Spinal Tap. Yeah. And on the IMDb page for that, um, its score is out of 11 instead of 10. Oh, that's funny. Right. Just for for that movie. Um, okay. I think, I think we're good on this. If you want to move into. Sure. Sure. Wait, uh, we still have to do the, would you put it on your list thing? That's what I mean. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like the post judgment, post yeah, yeah. spoilers. Yeah. So um, what do you, what do you think? Is this uh this a movie that that you would tell that you know you guys you got to watch this one? This is one that like there's only a hundred movies you're gonna watch before you die here. No more movies. No country. You know, man. I mean, I always say, you know, the the stuff in the box. Like what what category is it crossing off? Um, and I think. I mean, I think the standouts in the Coen Brothers catalog, the ones that are um, um, unusual, or that's what I mean, standout. They're like different from the rest of them, even though I've not seen all of them. Um, but those two are Big Lebowski and Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Those are um, way better movies. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know if, like, I, if you intentionally want to have some super real true crimey kind of thing like maybe maybe you put fargo over this i don't know that that's a category for me personally that i need to check off like there are sort of realistic sort of gritty kind of stories but if if you're telling me to put coen brothers movies on there i mean big lebowski was already on this list we talked about it months ago um i would put oh brother before this i mean i I think that the, the the problem here is that this movie felt like it was a chase movie that it was leading up to something at the end that that yeah. was and I should have said this in the spoiler section this isn't spoilers but if you get the the show at all you will watch this whole movie and will feel that you're leading up to something and it atten- and intentionally goes <laughs> I mean it's it that's what it does it ha- it just 
yeah, gives you I, and nothing, I, and you're like, and they're like, that's real life, and you're like, I don't want to, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but there's a whole conversation about spoilers, and because I, when we watched Seven Samurai, I got not halfway through because in my second sitting, I hit the intermission, and I was like, oh, if I'd known there was an intermission, I would have powered through to this, this, uh, you know hour and 40 minute mark or whatever. Um, But I got to a certain point, like I got 45 minutes to an hour into it. And then I had to go work over at the house for a while. And so while I was doing that, I downloaded a podcast with some guys talking about this movie. And I'm like, well, it's like a 60, 70 year old movie. I'm not really going to get spoiled like, I will get spoiled, but it'll be fine. Like, it's such an old thing, and the archetypes have been told so yeah. many ways. Like, I didn't mind. Um, and then when I went to watching the rest of it, um, it was fine. Like, I sort of knew what was coming, but not in specifics, because they mostly talked about the things that helped me appreciate it, like how different things were edited and what was going on in the culture at the time. Like... I didn't, it didn't really detract from that experience. Like enough got added to balance that out. But if you're watching, if you're watching a movie that's an adaptation of a book, right? You've technically already been spoiled on the story. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know how that works. Yeah. But that doesn't mean like, I mean, most of the time, you know, sometimes they can, the, the shining, right? They totally change things. Right. It could totally change. But like, I think the popularity of both. Harry Potter and Twilight prove that that doesn't detract. Like you still want to see, um, you know, if things are changed, that's in the case of an adaptation. But if you don't, if you just get pieces, if you're just like, Oh, at the end, this person dies. Um, then you're watching the movie paying attention to the journey because you already know the destination. It's like, um, when we talked about the TV series, Chernobyl, uh, you know, the the series starts with the character uh, committing suicide. And then yep. the rest of it is flashbacks. Like, we know it's getting to here. Like, there's no happy ending for this character. But right. we're still fascinated and interested in everything that leads up to that moment. I, I, it's your classic, like, in media res. Right. You know, I think I can in, handle in that more opening. than something like this, where, they, where they, they lead you up to something that was a, a drop down. And that's... That's what I why I would not put this on my list of things. It's it's because it makes you. I, I would not recommend this to anyone to watch a show where you're going to spend an entire time and at the end they subvert your to, your to get to get tricked in a way that is that is not delightful right. in the way. And that's when, when delightful I think is the wrong word. A lot of people we've really enjoyed it for that reason. That that was like your there, expectations. There are plenty of things we've watched. Like last year we watched Memento, with like a twist ending. Like um um. Shoot, uh, Batman guy. I can never remember Nolan. his name. Christopher Nolan um, does this in some of his uh, other... I mean, I think he did Memento. So yeah. uh, there's that, like, surprise ending can be good. This one was, you know, again, without trying not to not to spoil it, it felt like a like a got you ending and not in a, not in a fun way. Like a, yeah, see, this is, you know, in like a, like a, a more malicious way, but yeah. yeah, um, I think I think we're on the same page with that. All right, all right. We, so, so I would yeah, put this on. I'm not put this on my list. Like, well, I guess. Yeah, me, me neither. I'm 
for me, if I need a another Coen Brothers film, that's not because Big Lebowski almost. I mean, it's definitely Coen Brothers, but it's so different that if I wanted one more, I would pick. And Oh Brother is still. I mean, I'm I'm trying to think if I should, if them, I put uh, position 100 on my top 100 movies uh, would be okay. I have to have a negative based movie, maybe right? <laughs> you know. But uh, yeah. I don't even know if that would fit into it. So okay, so right. what other things have you watched this week? Let's skip in around okay, here a bit we've, more. We've got we've got just a little bit of time. We right. went longer on that stuff. We uh, we uh, you enjoy the the Mandalorian? Oh, we watched it. With, watch it. We all watched it together. That was fun. We right? all we all watched it together. I'm I'm very interested to see where that story's going. We got some cool uh, some cool moments in the last episode. I don't want to go any more in details because then we'll have to do a whole. Thing. <laughs> well, um, the the uh, the second episode was um, just kind of long western drawn out uh, stuff, and this one was story about, heavier. Yeah. Right, it's more story, more char- more uh, world building. World building, least, that's a good one. Right? For me, I don't know how much Mandalorian lore there is in other properties, the, the, but there, I don't know. It's any all of like it, uh, so. if you've read a, a, another book or some weird off comic book type thing mm-hmm. like maybe you know some things or actually like the clone wars had a season where they talked about them but but those are like tertiary d-list type things about mandalorian stuff so yeah i have i have a fair amount of things i want to say but we'll we don't have enough time so we'll <laughs> save that for for next week and then we'll have two episodes worth of worth of stuff to sure. talk about but it was good um, right fun times and it's, it's always good to watch those things with other people it was Pretty great. I I don't know how much of this you were aware of because we were falling asleep by this point in the evening. But we watched again the first probably forty minutes of Rocky Horror. Um, I kind of barely this, remember it a little bit. This yeah. past Saturday, um, the the takeaway for me with that was again to to go on my thing about expectations. Um, we were at our buddy Trotsky's place, and he he summed it up for us in a way that I wish I would have known before we watched it the first time. Mm. And I sort of understood, but not, not in this simple, succinct way. Um, he described that movie as counterculture and the clarification to counterculture was in 1975, uh, whatever is going to piss off your parents. Yes. Yeah. His, his friend. Absolutely and so then, was, then yeah. as we were watching it again, I like all of it made sense. It's like, yes, it's it's mostly making fun of Brad and Janet and their, you know, straight-laced June Heteronormative things, right? Heteronormative life. But then all the rest of it was just like, it felt more like not making fun of, but just like parodying those other lifestyles and, and ideologies and, and stuff. It's all just kind of goofy and fun in a in a you know shock value yeah our, our buddy chris had said like if you're watching it for a like an actual movie then of course it's not good but that's not the mm-hmm. point of the movie and and that, that's very right it was it's very much this uh it was just i don't care what you think of things and, and just a just a crazy spectacle in this Right. Um, yeah. In this in this era, the other movie we watched is an independent film that nobody has heard of. But in our circle of friends, thanks to our buddy Trotsky, <laughs> uh, we we mostly uh, love. It's a thing called um, Ping Pong Summer. Now that with one, that one is just great. An amazing cast. You've got um, Leah Thompson, who was the mom in Back right. to the Future. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, John Hanna, who was in Spartacus and the Mummy movies and 
season four of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which I finished up a couple days ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and Susan Sarandon. Susan Sarandon, who's been in everything. In Academy <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, it's this weird story of a kid in, I want to say, like, 84, who goes with his family. He's got one sister and both his parents, and they go to the beach for the summer. Except it's a beach in Maryland. So (laughs) it's like... The rocky beach. It's a beach town, but like, it's not particularly sunny. Um, And like, you know, they're going to go and eat crabs and stuff. And, you know, he encounters a bully. He he makes a friend and they're going to play ping pong. But they encounter the bully almost right away. And he's got a, a, you know, a sidekick. And there's a girl that he likes... And it's just, it's just that it's like, and that story has no real meaning to any of it. Like it's, no, it's this sort of, it's this sort of karate kid story, but it's, it's simultaneously, um, parodying, parodying and paying homage to that story. Like Susan Sarandon is playing the Mr. Miyagi kind of character, right? but it's all, it's all ridiculous. Right. See, this is one of those movies that I have a hard time uh, ever considering myself uh, in, in the critics uh, camp. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because, because people would can hear my, my uh, thoughts on something like Seven Samurai, which, again, I liked. But, the, you know, I have like, oh, well, there's this and that and I don't get this. Or um, No Country for Old Men. And then you're like, but he said Ping Pong Summer was good. Right. I like my my tastes are completely my own and weird in their own way. And they have, you know, I really I've watched that show several times, mostly when, you know, you have a few drinks. But uh, with most importantly, with friends um, that you just uh, it's just fun. And, you know, you you watch this and all of a sudden you realize this is intentionally over the top, which kind of flows into what you were saying with the, the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Like that's that's what they were doing there. It's like, you're supposed to watch it with friends and it's intentionally, even in 1975 over the top. Right. Yeah. Right. So that's, yeah. I you mean, you can't watch it. Like, just like you can't watch ping pong summer with a, this is a real movie or this is trying to be a parody. Like, you know, I, I can't imagine oh, I know you like sitting down in the, in the middle of the afternoon by myself, fully sober and watching ping pong summer. Yeah. Like, it's not that right? kind of movie. No. Although I think the argument can be made that it's a little bit like the No Country for Old Men thing. Like, there's nothing like it. Um, well, and there's some backstory stuff that our, our buddy Trotsky likes to tell us about every time we watch it. Like, the guy who made it treated it like a real, sincere, karate right. kid kind of movie. I've and so that. many people were like, are you... You're, you're serious. It's not a... It's not... And, like, he was... It's like he was trolling everyone for like a year and a half or That's something funny. until he finally was like, no, no, it's, it's a parody. It's of a joke. It's not right. Like, yeah. And yeah. cause everyone who watched it was like, you're, you because if it is serious, it's terrible. Like, yeah, it's right. an awful movie. It's like when I was in my early twenties, I watched, uh, army of darkness, the okay. third evil dead movie. Yeah. And I didn't know that it was, that it was campy. And so it's um, the same guy, Bruce Campbell, 
and there's like a scene he's fighting these skeletons and they're like claymation skeletons and the skeleton runs at him and is like you're going down and he does the hero ride the chandelier thing where he cuts the chain and grabs it and it pulls him up the side (laughs) of the castle and he's like i'm going up i'm like are you serious with this movie (laughs) but of course it's it's a it's campy it's supposed to be goofy and silly like that and i didn't I didn't know that. Like, I thought it was real and yeah. sincere. And yeah. Right. Well, this, this is, uh, the, the ping pong summer is just so kind of not a serious kind of movie and yeah. lighthearted and, and that's what it's supposed to be. And, and, and that's good. And, um, you, you celebrate how bad it is. You do. And that, that's the thing is that I think, I think it has to click with you. And just like you said, you wouldn't sit down totally sober in the summer all by yourself and watch this. I think <laughs> us kind of watching the Rocky Horror Picture Show in that way is kind of the same way. Like if we sat down and someone told us to which put Ping Pong Summer on the list and then we have to sit down and watch it by ourselves to review it, it would not be fun or enjoyable. And I don't know if I would get it. Uh, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I watch some comedy shows by myself and I immediately get the, the joke, right? I guess if you get the joke, it's, right, it's pretty, right. which I wonder if like someone who wasn't, isn't our age watched that show. I don't know if they would get the joke either, right? If you didn't Probably live not. through eighties and eighties shows and karate kid times yeah. and watch those kind of things, maybe you just don't quite get the joke. Um, but if you are in your, you know, mid thirties to mid forties, then ping pong summer you totally will get the joke we should we should put it on at icg con and see oh man i bet you that would be great that's a great uh (laughs) people to watch that one so fantastic all right man what uh we've got running a little long here i don't think we've got it we've got our uh, black friday for us that'll be already passed by the time people listen to this but black friday coming up so uh hopefully next week we'll come back with a few extra toys and trinkets to with something about. I'm not I don't have too ambitious of a goal I, I don't either I, I think I'm going to be looking for out, some I saw I'm going to pad out some of my computer Plex, stuff uh, but stuff I'm going to buy some uh, yeah some I, that's that is the one thing I might be looking for some some movies on sale to buy maybe in a digital form maybe just in a disc that I can I'm a little torn though with this whole uh, collection why why buy I mean I really enjoy the fact that I have all the Marvel movies my, I don't have all the Marvel uh, movies, but I, that I would have the whole collection. But why do I need to buy it now? My sister, Sarah, has been doing a thing for a couple of years where she gets the DVD or Blu-ray of old classic cartoons that we watched uh-huh. for our for our nieces and nephews. And they're, you know, like DuckTales and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. she's like, well, I can't do that now. It's all on Disney Plus. It's right there. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, that, is, that is very true. There, there's... There's very few things that I want to go there now and see like, oh, well, that one I, you know, that's, I would definitely would have bought uh, Spider-Man Far From Home is one of the first things like, oh, that's on sale. It's it's on a Black Friday thing, but I'm probably not going to buy it. Is that to Disney's detriment that I would have bought that? Yeah, we it's it's going to be really interesting to see how how all this shakes out. And maybe next week or and we, we should talk about all of the upcoming uh, Marvel shows that they're yeah, I mean, and, and it's not only that, like, I there. could even used to be able to take the thing and say, uh, well, I'll buy it for all the extras and stuff. But no, all that stuff is on. It's all on there. Hey, by the way, I'm going to end this with this thing. Uh, I found something really weird this uh, okay. this week. I was uh, had saw that there was a deleted scene in uh, Endgame, which I had. I don't own Endgame. By the way, I will probably buy that one just for prosperity's sake and to support the fact that I love that movie. Mm. Um, the uh, even though it's on on 
Disney Plus. <laughs> I, uh, I, I got to watch the, the several deleted scenes. They have many deleted scenes and with director commentary, which was pretty cool. Uh, hmm. So I went to watch it and I watched it at home in my bedroom one night and I'm like, oh, this, this is a cool scene. And I went to go watch it to show Sydney. And I went to the PlayStation and I loaded it at Disney Plus on the PlayStation and mm-hmm. I went to the scenes and they're missing half the deleted scenes. Hmm. And I was like, what? And I opened up my phone, which I had cast it before. And mm-hmm. on my Apple iPhone app of Disney Plex, it had like four extra scenes on the Disney Plus app, but it wasn't on the PlayStation app. Hmm. I don't know what that's about, but I wonder if there's a technical like stuff is in different codecs. There right? might be something with Sony. Isn't that weird? That's weird. If you want to get conspiratorial or conspiracy I don't know either. With that, that's, that's just one of those weird like I'm sure running a a business like a streaming service is way more insanely complicated than we could possibly imagine. Sure. Thing. Um, so th- they're just like, you know what? This is something you just don't need to know. Like uh, they have Spider-Man and his amazing friends season one, but why not three seasons? It's like 30, 40 years old, but mm-hmm. you know, if they own the property, I, you know, there's a, probably so many things that we just don't know about. But anyway, yeah, I thought that was classic, like who has, who has the between stuff. platforms, there was some things. Yeah. That different, so. That's, that is interesting. It's weird. I'll bet somebody on Reddit knows. Probably. Yeah. All right. You've been listening to the front porch. This is episode 118. Thanks, as always, to our friends at Geek Scholars Movie News and LRM Online. If you like Star Trek role-playing or Star Trek role-playing, you can check out our other show, KlingonsAndDragons.com. We're a little behind with episodes, but that's holiday chaos, so probably another week or two before the next part of that episode comes out, next part of that scenario. If you want, you can email us, frontporchpod at gmail.com. You can give us your uh, whether or not you would put movies on your bucket list. Tell us everything we're wrong about. No country for old men, right? Uh, or, or just follow along with the game. And and how uh, Michael needs to never be on the critics list ever. <laughs> right. If you go to our website, frontporchpodcast.com, we got contact forms, comment boxes on every episode, the schedule for the hundred movies. Oh, we didn't talk about our next movie. Uh, we're gonna go, uh, quote unquote, lighthearted and watch Wally. The mm-hmm. uh, Right. dystopian future uh, Pixar movie. Uh, if you enjoy the show, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, wherever podcasts are found. Thanks as always for joining us. And until next time, I'm Dennis. And I'm Michael. For The Front Porch. Night, everybody. See you next time. <laughs>